Yes, you're listening to Taking Care of Business right here on RPFM. Our next guest is an employment expert. She's founder and MD of Employee Matters. Her business and flying solo and is regularly quoted in publications such as the Sydney Morning Herald, ABC Radio, the Huffington Post and now at OPFM. Welcome, Natasha Hawker. Well, that's great. Thanks, Jackie, for having me. I really appreciate it. Good to have you here. Now, you've been running uh, some SME research consistently shows that people issues are the primary cause of headaches for most businesses, particularly small businesses. Why is that the case? Look, I think it's a really good question. I think, uh, you know, MYOB do a survey every year about what keeps business owners awake at night. And every year it's cash flow and employees. It depends year on year whether it's cash flow in number one position and employees in, or employees in number one. And I think, you know, for many people, Jackie, they start a business because they're passionate about finance or real estate or baking or, you know, whatever their passion is for their business. And normally as a result of that, as their business grows, they need employees. And they're a whole other ball game for them. And I have one client who said to me, you know, running a business would be so much fun if I didn't have employees. And I think, you know, part of the reason for that is we have a fairly complex employee relations space. And, you know, most business owners struggle to keep up or keep on top of what they need to understand to basically hire, manage and exit well. And that's part of the challenge for them. And if their people aren't great, then their businesses aren't going to be great. Yeah, it got me thinking when people start businesses, uh, and I do a lot of work with entrepreneurs and startups, and they start with this big idea and the passion and excitement and enthusiasm, and they quite often don't think about when it grows that you'll have to get staff in and everything that goes with managing staff. It's sort of a bit of a, I suppose, a Band-Aid mentality. Has that been your experience? Very much so. And, you know, I think it's, I always say your employees are your greatest asset. They're also potentially your greatest liability. Mm. So we're all about how can we build employee asset businesses. And a big part of what we do, Jackie, is there is a police component of it's compliance involved in HR, that we're doing everything as we should. But the other piece that I think most business owners miss is the lift piece. You know, when you hire well, when you've got a highly engaged team, when you measure their results, when you actively performance manage people, you know, the lift in your productivity and profitability can be enormous. Most business owners don't do that. I think they think about plant equipment and machinery. Yes, we need maintenance plans for that and we need to make sure that everything's good. But they just sort of plug a person in a desk and say, right, off you wonder why they don't get the results from that same investment. And so it's how do you get the ROI on your people? Yeah, and also with entrepreneurs and small business or small to medium-sized businesses, quite often they don't have a full-time HR person. If they're lucky, they might have an HR consultant come in. So it's always sort of, I don't know, tucked away in a drawer somewhere or it's too hard to think about. And that led me to your book that you have just released, From Hire to Fire and Everything in Between. And I was giving it a read uh, recently and it actually scared me a little bit because it made me realise how much I don't know. Has that been common feedback from those that have read your book? Yeah, look, I think it's, I think it's a 
awareness. And, and unfortunately, this is the big thing. You know, I think you raise a good point. Most business owners don't try and do the right, don't try and deliberately do the wrong thing. They actually want to do the right thing. But the statistics show us time and time again that in front of the Fair Work Commissioner on, in terms of unfair dismissal complaints, it's small to medium businesses that are fronting up all the time. And for exactly that reason, they don't have that in, that HR expertise as and when they need it. And so that causes them some problems. So I think a big part of why I wrote the book was I am so passionate about small business owners. I think they're the hardest working Australians we have. And yet... You know, sometimes things come unstuck for them, not because they're trying to do the wrong thing. It's because they didn't know. But unfortunately, that is not a defence. You know, if you fare up, if you have to show up to the, uh, you know, the commissioner, he's going to say, well, you should have known that you needed to have that support person there when you have that difficult conversation. And so writing the book for me was a big part of getting that message out there. And it can be done well. And I think for most people, the feedback that I've got, which is fabulous, is that it's become their dog-eared book companion. And it sits on their desk and they go, oh, I need to have one of those difficult conversations. What do I need to be aware of? And then they just jump to that page they're much more confident having that conversation, knowing that they've got, you know, the understanding behind them about what they can and can't do. And I think, you know, for a lot of business owners, Jackie, you know, they, they're almost scared by their employees now. And, you know, the reality is that I often say to business owners, you need to get them to follow reasonable instructions. As long as you're not asking them to do something unreasonable, then they should you know, do what you're asking them to do. And a lot of times it's like, oh, okay, well, I'll do that then. So, you know, it's really important that people understand the legal frameworks they're working in so they can get this stuff right. Yeah, well, I, I deal with a lot of businesses and I thought I knew enough, but I clearly didn't. And there was there was a bit in the book and it says, do I have your attention now? And the, and the <laughs> preamble to that was, and I'm going to read this out because it freaked me out and I'll tell you what I did after I read it, which will make you have a little giggle, but it shows that how effective this book was. So it says here, there are some very large financial implications for getting this wrong. With each breach of a modern award, exposing your business to fine of up to $63,000 for a corporation and $12,600 for an individual. Then you go on to say, which I like this bit, let me be very clear here. This is per breach. I went, oh my God. And then it got, a breach can be as simple as not giving out the fair work information statement. Now I've employed staff. We run a family business as well. I have friends that have employees. I've never heard of the Fair Work Information Statement. So then I went, Googled it, I've printed it out, and I, and this is what I did afterwards. I went straight to my computer, I Googled it, I printed it out, which is it's free to download and print online. It's two pages, a PDF. I then last night, on a Sunday night, went emailing it to everyone I know who has employees to make, friends and family, to make sure that they've given that out to them. So there you go. So it was, it was very useful for that, but you certainly got my attention. Well, I love hearing that, and I literally have goosebumps on my arm because that is a simple breach. Now, I'm not suggesting, Jackie, that you would necessarily get the full whack of that $63,000, but you could. And and it's so important. Business owners, it's hard enough running a business to get um, bought and stuck by something as simple as that just because they didn't know is 
is a really, you know, would be a really sad thing. So one of the things that we've done is on our website, there's a little diagnostic, free diagnostic, so business owners can just do that, and it's called Employee Metrics Mini, and that will give them a hint as to whether they're doing the basics right. So, and which you know, website's that, like that, Natasha? What's the website Pardon? address? What's the website address? The website address? is employeematters.com.au. Right. And if you just go on to the contact us page, you can do the discovery tool there, the employee metrics tool there. And, and it's a great way just to go, oh, all right. Another simple one, Jackie, along that line is you must have a copy of the modern award that your employees are employed under available in the office. And they need to know where it is. Now, that can be virtually available on an intranet, but they need to have access to it. And that, again, would be deemed, if they didn't, uh, a breach. Um, And, you know, so that needs to happen. And the other thing that most business owners don't do is they don't um, put... um, their, uh, the classification under the award in their employment contracts. So they need to say, you know, Natasha's hired, she's a level three, one A, and that needs to be very clearly in my employment contract so I know how you're um, categorising me under my modern award. So it's really important that we get these basic stuff right, and they're not hard to fix. You just fixed it really well, you know, by emailing that out, and hopefully you'll be able to protect your friends' businesses as well. Well, that's right. And, and I suggested, I said, look, just put it in the employee handbook. You might already have that, yeah. but it can just go in there with the OHS and all the other documentation that you, you give to someone that's uh, newly employed. And it can just go in there as part of, part of the kit. Now, the other thing with big businesses, most of them do this quite well because they have that HR resource. But for small businesses, a lot of them engage contractors so they're not full-time employees they're contractors and this is where it starts to get a bit murky so with that murkiness because you can have a contractor who comes in for a project or you can have a regular contractor I know the the rules change uh, regulations in each state which makes it even more complicated but if they work so many hours regularly then that can change uh, change things as well doesn't it Yeah, this is known um, as sham contracting. I always say to my clients, the riskiest way or instrument to hire someone is as an independent contractor. And let me share for you the reason why. Um, The ATO don't like independent contractors because guess what? They pay tax right at the end of the year, so it's not great for their cash flow. And their work don't like them because they think you as an employer are trying to avoid paying your employee entitlements. So um, they make it, it is a very complex area and I would strongly recommend your listeners get some advice either from HR or from a lawyer. But essentially the test is multifaceted. So an example being, if an employee wears your uniform, carries your business card, and you're calling them, even if you've got them on contract, an independent contract, they would be two things that they would potentially fail the, the test of whether they truly are an independent contractor. The big gotcha one for me is as a true independent contractor, if I have George, who's my independent contractor, and George can't come in for the day, he can send anyone he wants in to replace him without my permission. And that is one of the tests of an independent contractor. And most people will go freak out and go, that's not the case. Mm. So it is a very complex test. It is worth getting this right because, again, there's a bit of a thing in this now. If you fail that and you are sham contracting, a fine of $63,000 up to $63,000 is there. But not only that, Jackie, they will force you to back pay. 
pay entitlement. So if you've had George working for you in that way for the past two years, you might also have to pay back his long service leave and pay or contribute to that or pay back uh, his annual leave because he was owed eight weeks because he's worked for you for two years. And he also probably would have had five days, six leave both days. So he gets back paid for that. So it is a very, uh, it's an area fraught with lots of problems. It's really important that business owners get this right. Yeah, and hence the use of experts. But a really good place to start is your book, From Hire to Fire, by Natasha Hawker, who we're speaking with with now. And everything in between managing the employee life cycle, hire, manage, well-being and exit. And you've got, I like it that you've got in the appendix here some sample policies, lots of things most helpful. And we'll put a link to our Facebook page for the uh, employee matters checklist that you mentioned. Natasha Hawker, congratulations. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and for your valuable time today on Taking Care of Business. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Always fun enjoying picking the best brains in the business world. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Good to have your company today. Our next guest is an advisor to business owners. He works with businesses to help them buy a business and also to sell a business. He's in acquisitions, he values businesses and is also a business broker. Welcome to the show, Michael Kerr. Thank you very much, Jackie Mitchell. It's really great to have the chance to have a chat to you. Yes. Thank you. No, it's good. And I am uh, chatting earlier that you listen to the show regularly, which is always lovely to meet one of our 10 listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you got more than that, but uh, it's, it's a quality show. You do a great job, Jackie. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- well, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's the job of the guests, I think. Uh, it's actually getting a, a mixture and a real diverse mixture of guests. And that's why I was keen to talk to you because you – mentioned, uh, there's a LinkedIn article that you wrote about how the business broking world is broke, which I quite I quite like the play on words there. So what's going on with, with business broking? Well, there's, there's, um, there's a lot of small businesses in Australia, as, as we know. I mean, by any measure, it could be up to two, you know, 2.2 million. And um, a lot of them are solo operators, but they still have... Um, Valuable, valuable businesses that they can potentially sell, but essentially the you know the way people, both owners and uh, and you know, traditional business brokers go about um, selling a business is you know is it is kind of outdated now, and um, it, it was probably aligns a lot more you know with the real estate model where you you know you, you promote the business and you um, advertise and you wait for the phone to ring and. And um, you know, but it's it's just it's just not getting the results. Um, I've been doing this for sixteen years, and it's really hard to get uh, the right kind of buyers through those um, traditional advertising channels using the tra- traditional approach. So I'm I'm really arguing that it needs you know significant um, innovation in in the process for selling businesses. Otherwise, a lot of owners are going to be left. Um, with their business, by cho- uh, with, you know, probably not by choice. No, that's right. So the retirement plans of many business owners are at real risk here, aren't they? They, they are. Yeah, there's you know, there's a lot of uh, assumptions that you know by owners, you know, it's not it's not just the brokers, but that they can um, tidy up the business, um, 
and put it on the market and, and, and contemplate a sale within three to six months. And it just it's it just not working uh, like that at all. So yeah, the uh, sadly, a lot of you know, a lot of owners are going to find out that they're going to um, they're going to be staying in their business whether they like it or not, and putting off their personal retirement plans, which is you know which is really you know sad in some cases and, and really challenging in others. So I you know we, we'd really like to see more uh, effort on uh, from both parties, the owners and and the broking um, industry and, and advisors to to approach it differently. So more successful business owners can get out of their business and get on with the rest of their post-business life. Yeah, look, this is a conversation that needs to happen and that's what made me most interested to chat with you is because it's not had... I mean, I, I hear it all the time, I'm going to sell my business and, and I say to them, you know, what have your profit and loss statements look like the last two or three years? Oh, um, don't look at the books, it's different because we do cash and stuff. So, well, someone wanting to buy your business, that's the first thing they're going to ask for. So you can't sell a business if you look like you're losing money. It's that simple. But there's a real misperception, a little bit of ignorance in there about that whole process. Is, is that your experience? Yeah, very much so. The you know, the um, the sort of basis of any you know, business sale engagement that I get is to is to go back four or five years and look at the financial returns and um, and and to go through a process of adjusting them. And and you you talked about cash, and that's that's just near impossible to sell. People don't you know just won't accept it. They can't borrow against someone else saying you know there's cash in the business and there's all sorts of issues with. You know, with the ATO, so yeah, that's you know that that's just something you've got to start pushing that cash through the business if you want to get value for it. Um, but yeah, it's understanding what your business looks like over three or four years in terms of a you know of a trading history with all of um, with all of the adjustments that go with running a small business and and lots of owners you know put or have personal or um, have personal expenses through the business, which is not anything terribly wrong, but you need to you know, go through the process of taking them out. Um, there are all, all sorts of things that are done for tax reasons to you know, advance the depreciation on an asset, or um, and so you need to adjust those things back so you can get what is called an, you know, an adjusted um, and maintainable earnings for the business so that somebody else coming in to buy the business, um, if they were... Just running it purely as a business, this is the kind of return they could expect, and they want to know what the, the underlying trends are. They want to, yeah, there's all sorts of questions they want answered, but most typically owners, um, in my experience, they get to the end of each tax year, they do their tax return, and they feel good, and then they do their quarterly bas and the next one, and uh, but it's always these little junctions where they you know they may get a, a, a bit of focus for a, a week or two. And then they forget about it and go and run their business. And it's only when you put put down four or five years of financial performance on one spreadsheet and, and sit down and go through them with them and, and ask them why this has happened, what's that trend all about, that they really get a bit of a shock as to um, how their business looks to somebody who might potentially want to buy it. Yeah, look, I think one of the possible reasons for that is that people associate selling a business very similar to selling a home. Now, when you sell a home, it, you can do a quick and easy tidy tidy up for sale. Uh, but for a business, you can't. You need to plan that. You talked about three to four years. It's almost you need to go, okay, in three to four years or two years or you know, 
five years, I'm going to sell the business, I need to start planning that now. Is that the advice that you would give? Uh, yeah, 100% um, that it takes five, six, seven, eight times longer than everybody thinks. Mm. It, and um, maybe maybe 20 years ago, I wasn't involved in... But, you know, there, you know, there was a bit more of a... You know, a, a fluid market, and and um, but now it, it's often the case. I'm still working with with owners um, who have got solid businesses, and we're we're into two, three, you know, four years sometimes before we get um, you know, get somewhere. And it's just not it's not uncommon. And uh, so it's you know, and that's still um, you know. So if you if you bank three to five years as a, as a sort of period from Having that first thought about selling to getting out on a reasonable basis and allowing yourself some time to do some things early on in that three to five years to improve the business or stabilise it or make it just a little bit more, a little bit less dependent on the owner, clean up some of the contracts, etc. Yeah, three to five years is a pretty good, uh, pretty good estimate, and um, it, it might shock people, but I, I think that's a good thing because um, if you're thinking months or a year. Um, unless you have, you know, there are, there are, you know, some really micro or small, um, heavily traded businesses like cafes. But for anybody running anything, you know, that's got a um, you know, professional, uh, scientific IT, um, you know, uh, basis, it, it, you know, you're just going to take an awful lot longer to get um, get the business sold. Michael, in your experience in uh, in selling businesses and and helping people buy them as well, yeah. is there any particular trend that you're seeing? So in the buying, you're noticing when people are retiring that they're not retiring, they're using their super to then buy a business or are you looking at a certain type of categories or industries that are selling better than others, I suppose? Um, look, I, I think one of the, one of the things that is... Uh, this may not directly answer the question, but what I'm seeing a lot of is employees buying their their boss's business mm. uh, across all sorts of industries, um, and that's uh, that's that's a it's a fundamental trend that I, you know I'm, I'm seeing a lot of. Um, there are in, there are particular industries I've worked you know a lot in professional services, but also in other, many other industries and um, sales within the industry. So um, uh, you know. Uh, a company buying one of its competitors is is happening all the time, and a lot of that doesn't go through the traditional business broking market. Um, so they're they're significant, um, you know, trends in in business sales um, that are that are kind of unfolding more and more all the time at the moment. Um, you know, look, there's certainly a lot of activity. You know, in talking about industry specific things, there's an awful lot of activity in and around online businesses and even quite small online businesses because they've got that element of being able to work from home or, you know, um, do it as a side hustle. Mm. Um, but, um, uh, and I think, you know, cafes and, and hospitality attracts, uh, seems to attract a new, you know, uh, cohort of people each year. I think that's where they're going to make all their money and and most of them don't realise how hard it is. <laughs> but, it's a, you know, they're glamorous industries that do, do attract and and some people do it incredibly well, but a lot of people um, you know burn out after a couple of years. Um, so you know look, the, the, you know, industries um, you know specific. It's 
it's so um, it's so broad, um, and and I don't know there's any you know a, um, if if you talked about people wanting businesses that run under management, that's something that people call me all the time about. And my typical response is, if somebody does have a business that truly runs under management, they're probably not going to sell it because that's that's the ultimate asset that you would have. Um, so you got to you got to start digging and you got to start looking at other business opportunities that maybe aren't so advanced in in that um, under management. Um, yeah, they don't have the capability of running under management, but they might have one day if you in, you know invest and yeah. put some time and effort in. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a good good way to wrap it up, Michael Kerr. If anyone's listening, want to find out a bit more about you, um, they can find you on LinkedIn. Certainly, that article that I discovered on LinkedIn was really well worthwhile reading. You've got a lot of information there. Uh, and where else can people find you, Jackie? Uh, KerrCapital.com.au is uh, my main business website, and um, there's a few resources and and and, and articles. Um, that are going up on there all the time um, and it talks a little bit who, who, who we are and what we do. Wonderful. Thank you, Michael Kerr, and thank you for supporting Taking Care of Business, being on the show and also being a loyal listener. I appreciate it very, very much. Thank <laughs> well, you, Jackie. I enjoy it and I look forward to, uh, to more shows. Yeah, great, I certainly look stuff. forward. Good. Thanks, Michael, very much. You're listening here to Taking Care of Business and we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We hope you're enjoying eavesdropping on our very interesting conversation and I know you'll enjoy our next guest. She's an experienced leader in design with a history in the management in creative, business and healthcare industry. She is a director of a fashion brand called Be Serious. Her focus is on designing original handbags and accessories, but also with a strong social purpose. I'd like to welcome to the show for the first time, Vanessa Eldridge. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Jackie. Good to have you here. Now, your business, Be Serious, now it's B dot and it's Serious, S-I-R-I-U-S. How did you come up with that? Um, so the name is from uh, the previous owner of the business um, and it was about uh, a time in her life where she felt like she wanted to do something creative but also be a little bit serious at the same time um, and loved the constellation serious and that's how it came about. Well, you're going to laugh. As I've said the word be serious, my phone has t- spoken to me because my phone thought oh. I was saying, hey, Siri. It does it to me all the time, yeah. <laughs> there you go. So now, now you, how long have you had the business for? Um, about 18 months now. Right. Now, you said you bought it off somebody. Tell us the, the story of how that happened. Um, it was a, a sort of accidental, actually, um, um, I was at a bit of a time in my career, my healthcare career, where I um, wasn't very happy with where I was at, uh, in the, caught up in the bureaucracy. Um, and I, uh, my husband actually bought me uh, a Be Serious handbag uh, as a little gift, a little pick-me-up. And um, when, when we went to the shop to buy it, the lady said to me that there wouldn't be any more of these bags because um, the business was closing down and... Um, so that night, I couldn't stop thinking about it, and so I decided to take a really ridiculous plunge um, and made contact with the the owner and um, offered to purchase the business. And 
So it wasn't part of my planning. It, it, it just happened. Yeah. Now, now, when you go through that process of contacting the owner, how does the conversation go? Like, did you have a figure in mind or did you start the conversation with, have you ever thought of selling? How would that look like to you? How did you, did you get some advice? What was the process? Um, I didn't, I didn't get any advice other than, um, from talking to my, my husband and my family. Um, and I, I honestly didn't even, consider the price. I had no idea whether it was going to be affordable for us, but because I was so passionate about it, um, I, I just felt like I had to to ask the question whether it was for sale and to explain to the lady that um, I loved the bags and I had multiple of them and I just couldn't bear to see it disappear. So it... Um, it, it just it evolved over multiple conversations with her, and then we finally started to talk about money. And um, it it was like it was in the stars. I, I, I don't know. It, it it just happened uh, to be right, the right fit. And so. what uh, what experts did you bring into the process? Accountants, um, business brokers of any sort. What was who did you get to help you do that sale? So once we were at a certain point, um, I got the uh, profit and loss statements over the last few years and then obviously um, sought the advice of an accountant to make sure I wasn't being completely naive. Um, and they um, you know, did an assessment and then gave us some information on whether they thought that it was going to be um, profitable and feasible to continue. Um, and then obviously I had to speak with a lawyer um, in regard to um, purchasing the intellectual property um, and the trademark, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and um, it was just a, a bit-by-bit process of involving different professionals as I needed to and then signing the contract and, and there we have it. <laughs> is, this, is this your first business that you've done for yourself? It is, you've yeah. Run? Wow, yeah. that's uh, certain, certainly gutsy. And so that was, eight, that was 18 months ago. Did you write a business plan? Uh no, <laughs> no. I, I mean, I knew in my head what I wanted to achieve. Um, I got a lot of um, handover information from um, the previous owner, so she was very generous in the time that um, she gave to me in, in setting it all up. So, so I guess when I say no, I, 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 I did in a way where I had an idea of how much I would need to invest to then and how much I would get back um, and, and the processes along the way. So, so yes and no. Yeah, well, I think the, the, the key takeaway message there, which I think is important for anyone listening and thinking about buying someone else's business, is to firstly create that good relationship and then to ask them, what have you got that you can give me? And have you got, a, have you got some sort of ongoing relationship with her? Um, I I did. I haven't spoken to her for some time now, mm. um, but she certainly offered um, to continue um, giving me advice um, and to to have input if I wanted it. Um, and I utilised that as a resource for probably the first six months. Um, and then I, even though I've had some you know terrible days or some days where I've really questioned what I was doing. I have resisted the urge to contact her because I, I'm also, you know, an independent person and I want to make it my own and I thought 
I need to make my own decisions and, and have my own failures and successes and know that I've done them. Yeah, that's, that's a really good story. Now, I know as part of your business model, you uh, was to align to those who need help and you included a not-for-profit called Gen U. Tell us about that. Yeah, so, um, so in healthcare, um, my background is occupational therapy and management. Um, so I've always had a bit of a, a need to serve others. Um, so, so in creating my business and my um, setting up um, my my planning and my dispatching, my ordering, my um, um, you know, picking and packing the things. I felt that I needed I needed it not just to be about me and my needs. Um, so a friend of mine uh, from um, my child's school suggested that I contact Gen U because they have um, it's a social enterprise where they employ people who have disabilities and they work in a supported environment where they um, um, they they learn skills um, which can then give them a, a step up into uh, other employment. Um, so I, I um, phoned Genu and had a few initial meetings with them. And so they have a warehouse where they um, store all of my products um, and they then pick and then post off all of my products for me. Um, and I, I go out there probably twice a week um, and, and meet with, with everyone. And I, I, I feel like I'm giving back. Um, I mean, it's a service that I require in terms of managing on a day-to-day basis. But it's also, um, I feel great about it. I feel like I'm actually contributing um, to the community and, and doing doing something not just for myself. Oh, that's that's uh, su- such a lovely story. Now, I know that you've, um, Be Serious is now available in over 150 stockists in Australia. Yeah, in Australia and New Zealand. There we are. Sorry, that was my phone again. Every time I say your brand oh, name... <laughs> Every time I say your brand name, Siri talks to me. There you go. <laughs> uh, that, actually, there you go. So people can remember your brand name from remembering uh, Siri. Oh, um, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's really, it's really hilarious. So, yeah, you've got 150 stockists in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, and you uh, continue to expand globally. So you're going for world domination. Absolutely. <laughs> Good for you. So where's uh, you've got Australia and New Zealand. You've pretty much got that sort of tied up, I suppose. Where's next? Um, I'm looking into the US market at mm. the moment. Um, yeah, it's, look, I love I love um, having stockers all over Australia. I, I feel so excited about being able to provide something to Australian people. And I must say, whenever I see someone with a big, serious product, I... I, I, you know, go up to them and ask them what they think about it, which is really quite funny for me and probably embarrassing for them. Um, but yeah, look, I'd really like to to expand globally. But look, it's a it's a step by step process, and um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I'm, I'm not quite sure whether that will be successful, but I'm really happy to be supplying doors in Australia. Yeah. So, how many have you got on your team now? Um. Well, look, it's really me, um, and my husband is my greatest support, um, and my two little girls, our two little girls who are 12 and 9. They do a lot of um, uh, stuffing of envelopes and things at home, <laughs> get pocket money. Um, and then I, I outsource a lot of things. So I use, um, I have a graphic designer, um, I have a web designer, obviously 
accountants. So it, it's very much um, me and my family, and then um, and then I purchase services as as I need them. Yeah. So if someone yeah. was thinking of doing what you did eighteen months ago, what advice would you give them? Um, well, I mean, I, I laugh because I think how crazy I was to to do it. But I also, I'm so happy that I did it. I I feel so proud of myself. So if it's within their capacity to do it from a resource perspective, um, absolutely go for it because um, I feel like I'm doing something useful and fun, but I'm also you know, turning a profit and, and, and making a little bit of money to, you know, pay for my daughter's ballet lessons and school fees and all of those things. So, um, you know, you only get one chance at this this life, so absolutely go for it if, if, if you can and if you've got some supports around you to keep you going. Yeah, that's really inspiring. And I love talking to business owners like yourself, Vanessa, because... A lot of the media are focused on the big, high-profile business people. And look, I I do speak to a couple of those, but I like to also balance it out with small business owners who, in my view, are as inspiring, if not sometimes a bit more inspiring, because people listening to you can go, yeah, I can relate to that. That's me. Uh, And if if Vanessa can do it, well, maybe I can do it as well. So that inspiration is, is really valuable. So it's been delightful chatting with you today. I'll say be serious one more time and see if my phone goes off it doesn't this time so i wish you all the best continued success and be serious vanessa eldridge thank you so much for your time today thanks so much for having me that's the end of another stimulating show we hope you've enjoyed eavesdropping on our conversation picked up some tips learned something new or at the very least feel inspired If you just joined us, you missed a lot. The podcast will be on the website, artofpfm.com.au, and you can connect with me to continue the conversation, Jackie Mitchell, on social media or at brandstorm.com.au. Thank you today to our worldly and thought-provoking guests. We look forward to your company next Friday at 11am. In the meantime, keep taking care of your business.